and for those words. I believe uh, they are words from God for us this morning. And they relate to what I want to say this morning, as did a lot of those songs, actually, that we've just sung. Here's the three verses right before our passage that I took out, but I'm going to put them back in. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful, then, how you live. And then it goes on, we've just heard. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So the Lord's calling us to wake up. And he's asking us to wake up because he has a specific call upon us as a church. And he has a specific call on you, every single one of you, as a part of the body of this church, to help see that vision come about. Because it's all very well, Hanel and I saying we lead the church. The church is the body. And there's a beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about every single part of the body is interdependent on each other. So if we are to be the fullness of God who fills everything in every way, which is what we're talking about here in Ephesians, we cannot do that without every single part of the body playing its part. And... In order to do that, we need to wake up. Some of us need to wake up. I'll include myself in that. We need to wake up. And sometimes we numb things, don't we? Because we don't want to wake up to certain things going on in our lives. And it's interesting here that Paul contrasts being filled with the Holy Spirit with being drunk. So let me ask you this this morning. Why do you get drunk? Why do you get drunk? You don't have to do it with alcohol. You can do it with Netflix every night, binge-watching series so that we don't have space before we go to sleep to process the day or think about our lives. You don't have to do it with Netflix. You could do it with endless scrolling of social media, distracting ourselves so that we're not awake to what's going on around us or to what's going on in our own Heart. You don't have to do it with social media. You could distract yourselves with the drama in other people's lives. We love to think about the drama in other people's lives, and it fills a void in our own lives that distracts us from waking up to what he's doing, to what's going on in our own hearts. You don't even have to do it through that. You can do it through simply working all hours of every day, checking our emails before we go to bed. First thing we wake up, we check our emails. We're numbing ourselves. So the question is why? Why do you get drunk? Why do you numb yourself? Why do I numb myself? Well, if we're brutally honest with ourselves, it's because it hurts, doesn't it? Life is difficult. Life is hard. There's some of us in this room who feel a deep sadness about their life. I know it because I meet with you and I talk to you about what's going on in your life. I know it because I felt the same thing in my own life. So often we walk around with this deep sadness and there's lots of different causes of that. There's causes like relational things, relationships, core relationships in our life that are difficult and it causes this sadness right at the heart of things. The lack of core relationships in our life and it causes a sadness 
right at the heart of things, a lack of purpose or a lack of any kind of vision for our life, and it causes this sadness. And so therefore, we numb the pain. For others of us, it's just the challenge of being alive. One of the biggest lies that you may have heard in church is that if you become a Christian, everything's going to be okay. There's going to be sunshine and rainbows and unicorns, and you're not going to suffer one bit. And anyone who's been a Christian for longer than two minutes knows that that's just not the case. We suffer health problems. We lose jobs. We struggle financially to get by in our week, in our months, in our year. And we face every single challenge that others face in life. We get overwhelmed. And the result is we have this desire to numb the pain. We get overwhelmed and we numb it. Others of us are deeply, deeply, deeply insecure. And I say that because I was deeply, deeply insecure. And I used to drink alcohol to give me confidence. At university, I wanted to be the life and the soul of every single party. And I realized that the only way I could do that is by drinking in excess. Because then I would be the person who is the life and the soul of the party and can make things happen. And everyone would come to me for fun. And I wanted to be known as the fun person. I wanted to be significant. I wanted to be popular. But it's numbing a hole inside. It's filling a hole with something that simply numbs the pain. See, the problem with alcohol is it's a depression, right? So it numbs, there's a chemical release when we drink alcohol that numbs parts of our brain and makes us less aware of our problems. Now, same with social media. Same with endless scrolling. Same with getting involved in other people's lives and the drama of other people's lives. Same with Netflix. What we're doing is we're just numbing. There's a a chemical in our brain that's released that numbs the pain. And it means that we fall asleep. And what we miss out on when we're asleep is we miss out on moves of God. And we miss out on what God is calling us to do. And we miss out on the vision of bringing heaven to earth. And you all know this, but I'm just going to say it. The problem with all those things that we use to numb ourselves, alcohol, whatever it is, and it might be a completely different thing, whatever it is that we use to numb the pain, we know it doesn't work. It's momentary. It's temporary. It helps in the moment. But the next day, we wake up and we realize that problem that we have at work still exists. That problem that we have with our children is still there because they've woken you up. That problem that you have with your spouse is still there. And so therefore, numbing the pain doesn't deal with the heart of the issue. Now, this morning, Paul talks about a better solution to this numbing, and it far exceeds anything that we could possibly get from getting drunk, and it's this. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. I'll explain that in a second. He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That be filled is the present tense imperative, which is just a fancy English literature way of saying, go on being filled. Don't just get filled once, get filled again and again and again and again. A little bit like every evening we might reach for a bottle to numb the pain. We can go to the Holy Spirit and ask to be filled again and again and again and again. And here's what's interesting about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is both quite similar to being drunk, but also entirely different. So how is it similar? Well, if you look in Acts 2, 
You see, when the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, they burst out of the upper room and they start proclaiming boldly the word of God and the wonders of the grace and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice that they had witnessed the resurrection, okay? So they weren't just believers in the resurrection. They had witnessed Jesus crucified, dead, come back to life. And then guess what they did once they had that revelation? They, they actually experienced Jesus. They went and hid in an upper room. Why did they hide in an upper room? Because they were terrified. They were terrified because they thought if they spoke about the risen Jesus they just witnessed, they knew that they would be thrown in jail and likely killed as a result. And so what happens is they're filled with the Holy Spirit and instantly they become bold beyond any boldness that they would have experienced before, beyond the kind of boldness that you experience when you get drunk. And they burst out into the streets and they start speaking eloquently in all these different languages and people say, these guys must be drunk drunk. It's nine in the morning. They must be drunk. Why? Because what they're saying is deeply offensive. And they need boldness in order to be able to say it. Because they're saying to the people gathered, the Messiah was here and you missed him. You were asleep. Not only that, but you killed him. And we're here to say you need to wake up. So it's similar to alcohol in that it causes us to be bold and brave. It's also similar to how alcohol in the sense that we are filled with joy and with happiness. And so the disciples are bursting out of this room and they're declaring the wonders of the kingdom of God and of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ poured out on everyone, not just a few particular people, but the spirit of God, the presence of God, the love of God on everyone. And they are filled with joy. And so therefore, people look at them and then conclude, well, they must be drunk. They are beyond reasonably happy. So therefore, they're hammered. So it's the same as being drunk. In fact, it was so attractive seeing these guys drunk that 3,000 people decided they wanted a bit of that and they're going to join in and gave their lives to Jesus in that moment. But it's also dissimilar. So it's the same as, but it's also very different. It's very different because as Paul says here, being drunk on alcohol leads to something he calls debauchery. Now, that word debauchery, it's not necessarily talking about immorality, although it's related to that because Andrew spoke about that from our passage last week. But what the word debauchery really means there literally is just it's a waste. It's an absolute waste. It's like being abandoned to something. It's the same as being asleep when we should be awake because there's a move of God happening. It's a waste. It's the same as people in the church saying, well, it's all very well for everyone else. They're going to be involved in what God's doing here, but I'm not significant enough, or I'm not good enough, or I don't have the skills in order to be able to participate in that. I am not enough, and so therefore we don't join in, and we sleep, and we numb ourselves, and it's a waste. It's a waste. We lack, as the church, because without you, we don't get to experience the fullness of God filling everything in every way. And you lack because you lack the purpose of being involved in the most exhilarating, exciting thing you could ever possibly be involved with, which is bringing the kingdom of God on earth. So it's dissimilar to getting drunk. And here's the one thing. If you hear one thing this morning, here's the one thing that is different. Drinking and numbing the pain and being filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, 
We don't become less aware of our problems. We don't become less aware of our insignificance. We don't become less aware of the challenges that we face. We don't become less aware of the sadness that seems to be creating this hole inside of our hearts. It's not that we become less aware and we numb the pain and we forget about it for a momentary point in time. What happens when we get filled with the Holy Spirit is we become acutely aware of all that we have been given in Christ so as to see all of those things get resolved in his presence. We get equipped. We realize how much we have. This is the point of this whole series. I remember I spoke to you at the beginning. I talked about Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, two prayers in there that I'm praying for us as a church as we start to wake up. And they're both wake-up prayers. The first is Ephesians 1, where Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts, not our minds, this isn't just logical thinking, the eyes of our heart, this is an experiential wakening up. The eyes of our heart will be enlightened so that we may realize the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, but also the riches of his glorious inheritance. We don't numb the pain. We don't forget about the problems. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we realize the riches of his glorious inheritance that we've received so as to see a solution to the things going in our life that are creating the sadness and the challenge and the insecurity. Ephesians 2, Paul prays how, that we might grasp how wide, how high, how long, how deep is the love of Christ, that we, might not know, that we might know that we can ask and that anything that we ask of God can go beyond immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. This is what happens when we get filled with the Holy Spirit. We suddenly realize that same power is in us. It's not that we numb the problems or we forget about the problems. It's that we become more aware of the solution that we already carry for the problems. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't become less aware of our problems. Instead, we become more aware of what we have in the Spirit to deal. Okay, so here's three very practical things we get from this passage that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we get in order to be able to face our sadness, in order to be able to face our challenges, in order to be able to face our insecurities so that when we have this temptation to fall asleep, when we get this temptation to numb the pain, we will instead turn to the Holy Spirit and say, God, would you fill me now? Here's what we get. First thing we get is we get wisdom. Verses 15 says this. Be careful then how you live. Directly related to the wake up, O sleeper. Be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. And then he says in verse 17, therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We don't often associate being filled with the Holy Spirit or even the Holy Spirit with wisdom, do we? We often associate it with feelings or emotions, but here Paul's saying the solution to being wise, not unwise, is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing that we need to understand about wisdom. There's loads we could say about wisdom, but just one thing that we need to know about wisdom from Paul's perspective is wisdom has very little to do with human wisdom. So when we talk about wisdom, we're not talking about human wisdom, okay? Let me uh, read you this really quickly from 1 Corinthians 2. This is Paul talking about wisdom earlier on, and the NIV has helpfully labeled this whole section. God's wisdom revealed by the Holy Spirit, and he's contrasting it to the world's wisdom. And he says this, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. We'll come back to that in a different reading in a second. But not the wisdom of this age 
Not the wisdom of the world, not the kind of wisdom we can get from YouTube, or the kind of wisdom we get from podcasts, or the kind of wisdom that we get from our boss at work, or the kind of wisdom that we get from people that we respect in the workplace or anywhere in the world. Not that kind of wisdom. Instead, not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. There's no purpose. Ultimately, it means nothing. It doesn't matter how brilliant you are in your job so as to make as much money as possible or create the culture that you want. At some point, that job is going to come to an end. Either you're going to die or you're going to leave it. At some point, that company is going to come to an end. Does it leave eternal value? Is it bringing heaven to earth? I don't know. You tell me I'm not in your job. But it says this later on, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts? This is what we get when we get the Holy Spirit. God's thoughts, except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except by the spirit of God. And here's the wisdom. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has given us, resources, to be able to deal with the stuff that's going on in our lives, the stuff that's causing us to numb and fall asleep. That is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but words taught to us by the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you get wisdom, but it's unlike any wisdom you've ever experienced before. It means that as Christians, we do strange things that makes absolutely no sense to the world. For example, we give all our money away. In the Old Testament, there's a tithe. Give 10%. It's lovely. It's very neat. Unfortunately, when you read the New Testament, it basically says be hilarious in your giving. Well beyond 10%. Give it away. It has no power over your life. Whereas the world works for money so as to get as much money as possible to be comfortable and to be rich and to provide some sort of meaning for their life as Christians, we realize how amazing money is for benefiting other people. So we start to give it away freely. And in fact, Paul says we laugh while we do it because it's funny. It's funny to give money away. No one in the world is ever going to tell you that. It's hilarious. The more money you give, the happier you'll be. I promise you, try it. It's absolutely brilliant. We also do other things, like we bless those who persecute us. So when someone slags you off at work, instead of slagging them off behind their back, what you do is you start speaking well of them to other people. Madness. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's hilarious. That's because it's not human wisdom. It's wisdom of the Spirit. And it brings, guess what it brings? It brings heaven to earth. That's what Jill talks about. It rips open the heavens and we see the presence of God fall among us. So we get wisdom. Okay, so how do we apply that? Well, I think we apply that in the small and in the big. Notice that Paul says there, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Okay, so it's by the Spirit that we understand what the Lord's will is, what he wants us to do with our lives. Jesus says, I don't do anything apart from the, what the Father is doing. Okay, if Jesus can only do what he sees the Father doing, how much more do you think every single one of us here need to be doing what the Father is asking us to do? So when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive the will of the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, we we can start to listen to know what to do. And that's in the small. So that's kind of all of those decisions that aren't necessarily that obvious in our lives. Sometimes we think that we need the Holy Spirit's wisdom when we have to make a decision between some terrible thing or some really good thing. Let me tell you now, you don't need the Holy Spirit to work out whether something is good or bad. You know it often. What we often need, so for example, you, you have a, the option between a, a company that works for the good of the earth, other people, doesn't rip people off, doesn't undermine, and then you have a company here who does exactly the opposite and essentially slays people so as to make more profit. You don't need the Holy Spirit to work out which job to take. Let me tell you that now.
now. Just take the good one. It's easy. What we need the Holy Spirit for is for those decisions that we make day in, day out, where we don't really know what to do. It's kind of, well, we could do this option, could do this option. We're not too sure what to do. We get filled with the Holy Spirit and we understand what the Lord's will is. That's how it happens in the little things of life. I'm not talking about what color socks you wear in the morning. I'm talking about things that matter a little bit more than that. Although you could pray about what color socks you wear in the morning, but I don't advise it because you'll become useless for anything earthly. Anyway, the other way of receiving the wisdom is for the big decisions in our life. Because guess what? God has a calling on every single one of our lives. And it's not to work for a company and make lots of money and make comfortable choices so our family are comfortable. The purpose and will of our life is to bring heaven to earth. That doesn't mean that you quit your job and you work for the church. Please don't do that. It's a terrible decision. You need to be called for that. But it means that in your job, you're looking for signs of the kingdom. And you're trying to spot what the Lord's doing. And you're bringing heaven in to what's happening. So therefore, we're filled with the Spirit. We get the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And so we start seeing the kingdom of God come. So here's the challenge from that. Are you living in the will of God in your life? Do you feel called to the thing that you are doing with your time most of the time? Because if you don't, I would suggest you pray and you ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit and see if there's something else going on. Because let me tell you this, and I know nothing, I'm 37, but I've broken my leg and it's made me think about these things. We don't have that long. We don't have that long. Anyone who's older will tell you this. It goes by like that. So if you're spending every single hour and minute of your day doing something that you hate simply so that you can make money or simply so that you can be comfortable or just because you can't think of another option, can I suggest that you get filled with the Holy Spirit and start asking God what he's calling you to do because you will have so much more fun because your life will be filled with purpose as opposed to whatever it is filled with at the moment. So first thing we get is wisdom. Filled with the Holy Spirit, wisdom. It's great. It's a really good gift. You need it. Get it. Second thing we get is boldness. Verse 16, he says this. Be careful then how you live, not as wise and unwise. There it is again. Verse 16, he says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity. What's Paul talking about there? This is where Jill's word is fascinating, and it's definitely the spirit. Jill talked about something called kairos there. Did you hear her say that? Kairos, that's the same word there that Paul is using. Making the most of every opportunity. Kairos, do you know what we're talking about there? We're talking about God moments in our life. We're talking about moments where we see the potential of the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And what we need to do as Christians, filled with God's presence, filled with his power, filled with his purpose, filled with love, is jump on those opportunities like a lion on a mouse. Uh, That's terrible. Like my dog, we had a rat run up the slide the other day. And this is the thing, Koki, our dog, many of you have met Koki. Wouldn't say boo to a goose. Too kind. If anyone's like comes to the door who doesn't want to be at the door, she'll just lick them. Doesn't get anyway. She saw this rat, pounced on it, broke its neck. It was one of the proudest moments of my life. I loved it. Hate rats. Love my dog. Didn't think I'd love a dog. I don't like dogs. I didn't think I was a dog person, but I am now. Anyway, Koki makes the most of every opportunity. Actually, no, that's poor. Doesn't just put with the rat. But rats are evil. That's why it's relevant to this passage. Anyway. Making the most of it, Kairos moments. So, in our day, there will be Kairos moments. And those Kairos moments, guess what? (laughs) This is the weirdest thing about the whole Bible. God's plan A for bringing the kingdom on earth is me and you, right? So if we don't take those opportunities, make the most of every Kairos God-breaking-in moment, it's not going to happen. 
I mean, it might happen through someone else. Ultimately, it's going to happen because Jesus is coming back, so you don't need to worry too much. But guess what? It's way more fun if you do make the most of every opportunity because then you get to be involved in the greatest redemptive story in the history of humanity. Every day, there's going to be opportunities like that. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to spot them. I was coming home from school the other day, and um, a guy called Raf, who I love, he's brilliant. He's one of the other dads at school. I picked up the kids. I got to the gate. I threw the kids into the house because there was not enough time because they have to get ready for dance to come back over here. And then I had a meeting in a second on Zoom. And so anyway, Raf, just this guy cycles past with his kids on the way. And he stops at the gate as I'm opening the gate. And he says, Ben, Ben, guess what? I've been thinking about those talks that you give about purpose. And I was like, oh, interesting, Raf. Great. Yeah, what do you think? He goes, well, you know, I just feel like my life currently lacks a bit of purpose, and I'd love to talk to you about it. I was like, brilliant, Raf. Well, we're doing this course called the Life Course. In fact, we're kind of halfway through at the moment, Raf, like, so you can't come to this one. Oh, and we're not doing one in the autumn because we're doing something different. So I'll tell you what, in January, I'll tell you what your purpose in life is. And then I just shut the gate on him and went inside and had my meeting. You know what that was? Wasting an opportunity to see the kingdom come. Why do we do it? Because we're busy. We're distracted. I want to suggest probably the primary reason we don't do it is because we don't have courage. What happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit? We're filled with boldness. In those moments, we can turn to the people where those, that's a Kairos moment. That's a moment of heaven potentially breaking in. We can turn to them and say, that's brilliant. I'm, that's amazing you've been talking about that because I spoke to you about that two years ago. And here you are reminding me of speaking to you about that two years ago. What do you think is going on? Oh, and by the way, do you know what gives purpose to my life? Jesus gives purpose to my life. Do you want to meet him? Do you want to experience him right now, Raph? Because I can pray for you right now. And you can have it if you want. You can experience his love for you. You can experience the exhilaration of his purpose and his vision for your life running through your veins so that when you go to work, you're not thinking about whether you're wasting your time making money for other people or distracting yourself to death. You're looking for opportunities of the kingdom. And it's fun. Second thing is boldness. Third thing, uh, intimacy and joy. It says this at the end of our passage. Here's what happens. We're filled with the Spirit. And we start speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. We sing and make music from our heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you sing and make music to? So if you were vaguely musical, even if you're not, who do you sing and make? So create, write songs about. You write songs about you, people you know really intimately, right? And people that you love really deeply. People that you adore. The other day, Ray, our littlest, was really happy. She was happy because Hanau had gone to see some friends and I was in charge and I had a broken ankle so all we did was watch Netflix all day and we had any snack they wanted so they suggested a snack and I said there it is, the cupboard's over there, enjoy it. And I sat with my foot up and we had a lovely day and at the end of the day, Ray was in the sandpit outside and she was just singing, she was going, oh, I love my life, I love my daddy, I love you, I love my, she's making up a song because her dad had let her have any E number in the house. But really, she's, she's happy. She's deep, deeply happy inside because she spent time with me, if I'm honest. Because my leg was broken, so I couldn't be busy around the house doing things. I was just with them the whole day. Same happens when you're filled with the Spirit. 
you suddenly realize the depths of his love for you, the beauty of his majesty. And you experience it in your heart, and it causes you to want to write songs about him, love songs, intimate songs. It's why we prioritize intimacy so much here at St. Peter's. Because as we start to wake ourselves up, and we start to open ourselves being filled, we realize the only adequate response is love songs to God, adoration to him. So notice that this isn't like singing when you're drunk, because that's nonsense. Who's ever written it? Actually, I'm not going to answer that, because people have written great songs whilst drunk, and also high, but let's just forget that, shall that. This is not like the nonsense songs that you and I, who aren't talented, write when we are drunk. This is songs, for example, that always give thanks in everything, for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason I mention that scripture is because people say, well, you don't know the challenges I'm going on, that's going on in my life at the moment. You don't know the level of suffering that I am experiencing at the moment. If you knew, there is no way you would be able to sing those kinds of songs to God because right now, I'm angry at God. Right now, I don't feel like I want to sing songs to God because my life is falling apart. And here's where we get to the most important thing about being filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we realize that there is a difference between happiness and deep, resounding joy. When we're filled with the Spirit, we experience joy. When we're drunk, we have happiness. It's momentary. It's fleeting. It means that we've forgotten the stuff that's going on in our life. When we're filled with joy, it's what Hanal was talking about after the worship, we receive the joy of the Holy Spirit because we realize that our feet are stood on the solid rock of Jesus. And it doesn't mean that the troubles don't hurt. It doesn't mean that we can't go to God and process the pain. It doesn't mean that we can't talk to each other and be honest with each other about the pain that we're going through. But it does mean that if we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, he'll give us joy. And it won't always look like laughing, but it will look like a solid foundation in your life that you can stand on. The reason he says in the name of Jesus is because guess what Jesus did? He brought glory out of suffering. He brought acceptance out of rejection. He brought life out of death. So the solid ground we stand on is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So here's the challenge. Do you have the kind of intimacy with Jesus that should cause you to sing spontaneous love songs to him. Because if you don't, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Because then we'll begin to have our eyes open. We'll begin to have our hearts opened to all that we have in him. We can't help but sing. Notice as well, it's not just singing to God, it's singing to each other. What does that mean? It means that we're building each other up through spiritual songs. Because if you have intimacy with God as your father... You won't just have intimacy with him. You'll start to have intimacy with each other, which is the only way that we're able to fulfill the 1 Corinthians call on the church, where every part plays its part in bringing the kingdom of God. The only way we do that is if we have intimacy with the Father, because when we have intimacy with the Father, we realize that we're intimate with each other because we're his body. And so we look to build each other up, not tear each other down the whole time. Because when we tear each other down, you're just defeating yourself. 
you're harming your own body parts. Okay, really quickly. Oh, geez, why does that always happen? Uh, um, can you just bear with me for five minutes because I want to show you something that um, I think is amazing, but it takes a bit of work. So, Luke 10, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's quite fascinating how it happens. So he's just sent the 72 out, and they come back to him. They say, look at all that God does when we're filled with the Spirit. Look at all these demons are submitting in your name. And Jesus says this, don't rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about what he's about to do on the cross so that they may have eternal life. At that time, verse 21 of chapter 10 of Luke, it says this, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, absolutely filled, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. What's he saying there? He's saying the gospel isn't complicated. Stop trying to reason your way into the gospel. Instead, realize that the way in is by becoming like a child. It's incredibly simple. Let me just give it to you in really simple terms. You do not deserve to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You just don't. I'm sorry. I don't, you don't, none of us do. Why? Because we were singing about the holiness of God there, right? So God is so set apart. He's beyond any of our understanding. He's far beyond our own brokenness. He, in him, there is no darkness whatsoever. So if he were to come and fill the very depths of us, it would be a conflict of interest. It just doesn't work. He can't do it. You do not deserve to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But guess what? He loves to fill you anyway. Here's an example. David, Psalm 51. David had just committed adultery to Bathsheba, right? So he'd done something wrong. In fact, he was about to do something even more wrong. And he's worried because he's like, God's going to remove his presence for me. I'd be worried. You should be worried. We all should be worried. Create in me, David says, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast from your presence. Cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation. He realizes he's messed up. He realizes he doesn't deserve to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he calls upon the mercy of God to fill him once more. And guess what? God doesn't remove his presence from him. Now that is a particular person in a particular place at a particular time. Here's what happens as a result of Jesus. Now listen to this. Jesus, uh, Matthew 27. Jesus is the ultimate David, okay, from the line of David. He is actually who David should have been as the king of Israel, but he fulfills everything that David should have fulfilled and before that others should have fulfilled and before that Adam and Eve shouldn't have fulfilled. And here's what happens to Jesus on the cross. He lives the life that we should have lived and instead of being glorified, which by the way he should have been because he was amazing when you read about the life of Jesus, instead he was crucified, he was flogged, he was tortured, he was put upon a cross and he died the the most excruciating death. But guess what? That's not the worst thing that happened to him. The worst thing that happened to him is this. It says this in Matthew 27, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And do you know what happens in that moment? God removes his presence from Jesus, the one person who didn't deserve for that to happen. Why? Because he can now fill us, those who are in Christ Jesus, redeemed, restored. When God looks upon us, he doesn't see our faults. He doesn't see all the reasons why he shouldn't 
fill us with his presence. He sees his son, Jesus, who paid the ultimate price so that we could be filled. How do we get filled? We come like a child. Luke 11, just after Luke 10. Jesus teaches them how to pray. And he says, become like a child. He says, if you, fathers, if your son asks for a snake, oh, wait, bread, you give him a snake instead, or her snake, um, you don't do that. Even though you're self-obsessed, even though you've got all this stuff in your life that you want to numb, that's really difficult right now. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, here's the key, how much more will God, our heavenly Father, who is perfect in every way, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So let's stand. And we're going to wait on the Spirit. But what I want you to bring to God right now is the pain. This is, in my experience, the one question Jesus is constantly asking us, where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? Let's shut our eyes so we're not distracted. And just hand to Jesus what it is you're going through. And now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill us afresh this morning. Not so that this stuff gets numbed or we forget about it, but so, Lord, we become aware of all of your heavenly resources that you're giving us right now in order to be able to see these situations in our life redeemed, restored, taken from death into life, resurrected. That you bring peace in the storm. Bring light in the darkness. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just wait. going to get people up to pray for them. One category is what Jill was talking about. Those of us here who just feel tired, it's easier to numb than it is to step back in. I feel the Lord significant to just step forward this morning and step up to the front here and be filled afresh so that you realize all that you have in order to be able to do what he's asking you to do this time. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by the Spirit. Just in my mind's eye, I see someone at night trying to fall asleep and they're trembling. 
and they're just overcome with fear, and I feel like the Lord wants to fill you with his spirit this morning to remind you that he is with you. But at night, before you lay your head down, he's there. Some other people who just feel deeply insignificant. And in the moment, I'm just going to ask you to come forward, and that's going to be hard for you, because it's hard to do when you're feeling that way, and I get that. But if you come forward, we're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit will fill you with his significance. The affirmation of your Father in heaven, who before you've done anything, says he's proud of you. So let's do that now. If you want to respond in any way, come forward. The reason we do it at the front is just so we can move around as a prayer team and pray. All we're going to do is lay a hand on your shoulder and we're going to ask that you get filled with the Holy Spirit. That really is all we're doing at the end of services. And it's very important. And it's more important pretty much than anything else we do in the service. And me leaving it this late is wrong and I'm sorry about that and it shouldn't happen. just need to shorten my talks. Um, But come forward now. Don't worry about the kids for a minute. If you feel that pull of the Holy Spirit, just come forward and find a space here. If any of those words relate to what you're going through right now, come forward and take a moment here. If you are feeling pain right now, so when we waited, it just feels like it's just that pain that's coming up. Just come forward right now. If you know that you numb yourself, come forward right now and you're gonna experience something that is far better than any other resource you have that's causing you to numb it. Can we move that table? Dom, do you mind just moving that? And I prefer doing it at the front because we opt in then because we have people here who aren't Christians and they don't want to be prayed for in their rows because it's awkward. So we just do it at the front. It's just easier. I realize it's awkward to come out of your rows. But if you could just come up, find a space. And prayer team, if you could come up at the same time. So there's people trying to pray in this way. They're not going to pray long prayers or speak sermons over you. They're just going to lay a hand and they're going to bless what God's already doing. They're going to ask that you get filled. Well done. So as you come up, just shut your eyes, open your hands out. Just a physical way of saying, God, I'm open to you. It takes a lot of courage to come up. Well done. Just open your hands. And then if some of the people who know how to pray could just come and lay a hand now. Thank you. Anyone else? Just lay a hand. Need a few more people to pray. Brilliant. Thank you. Any more? Jeremiah, if we could just have a bit of keys in the background, that'd be lovely. Just to cover as we pray. And so may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and those you love this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Those of us who aren't coming up to pray or being prayed for, you're free to go. Please pick up the kids if you don't mind. But if you've come up, just say to yourself, I'm going to get prayed for a few times here. You can be greedy with this. Paul says, keep getting filled. So there's just going to be a number of different people come around. They're going to lay a hand. They're going to bless what God's doing. So Holy Spirit, come fill your people. Come, Holy Spirit. Could get another person to come pray. That would be amazing. Sorry, I can't do it.